This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, May the 6th, 2022. How come a dog gets what life is about, but the Tories don't? This is a story about a basket, except it's not really a basket, not anymore. It's about 70% wicker, with a 1970s vintage prosthetic spine made of plastic tube and copper wire. Rubber-coated electric cable was added over the years as reinforcement. About a decade ago, it needed a chunk of carpet underlay and half a roll of duct tape to restore its side and shape. The best you can say now is that it resembles a basket. But that's not all it is. This chewed, creaky, splintered, abused object is an artefact, an heirloom, an integral component of what makes its owners a family. To me and mine, it's known as Prince's Basket. Prince was a collie cross, born, we think, about 1952, who came to live with my mum and her parents a few years later. Strictly speaking, it may not be Prince's basket. It could have belonged to Roy, a spaniel who bit a school friend and was never heard from again. Or even Patch, the post-war proto-dog, a Jack Russell who exists in one faded photograph but no living memory. But at some point between Britain exploding its first atomic bomb off the coast of Australia and two Liverpool lads called John Lennon and Paul McCartney meeting at a church fete, it became Prince's basket. It remained such even after he died in 1968, shortly after my parents got married and the same year that Enoch Powell predicted rivers of blood and abortion was legalised. A few months later, it became the first bed for a pedigree rough collie called Dandy a noble beast with a long nose, perfect for exploring the new trend for miniskirts. Then, in 1970, it switched houses for the first time when my mum and dad got Sam, another collie cross not unlike Prince and just as keen on his basket. By this point, the wicker had been chewed on the right-hand side by three dogs, only two of whom had the excuse of teething. Around the time my dad began the first of many basket bodge-ups with some wire and tube, The Daily Mirror reported how Paul had left the Beatles, 18-year-olds could vote for the first time, and my parents welcomed their first child. In 1974, the basket went back to my grand's house for a rescued Sheltie, Danny. As he curled up in it, the humans endured a three-day week because of electricity shortages, John Pertwee stopped being the doctor, and Lord Lucan disappeared into thin air. Dandy died in 1979, the same year as John Wayne and Sid Vicious. In 1983, Gran gave the basket to Major, another collie, who was so keen on cheese that he swiftly resembled a truckle of the stuff. In the year of the miners' strike, Danny was buried in the rhubarb patch, and two years later, Sam went to eternity in his favourite spot beneath the washing line. It was my first bereavement, and soon afterwards, my nana died too. In 1986, the year that Prince Andrew married Fergie, the M25 was opened and GCSEs replaced O-levels, The basket came back again to mums for yet another collie called Sheba, who, despite appearances, was a bag of nerves most days. In 1991, the Allies launched the first Gulf War. The IRA launched a mortar at Downing Street and Robert Maxwell launched himself off his boat. Amid all that, Sheba gave birth and the basket was handed down once again to a lucky pup called Lucy. She was the dog of my teenage years, who walked with me for hours and came to sit with me whenever I was sad. She reached the grand old age of 14 before being interred beneath her favourite azalea, by which point I was a reporter for the Mirror, Doctor Who was revived, and Prince Harry was pictured in a Nazi uniform. My grandparents had all died, my parents were in their middle years, 
and I was about to get divorced. For a while, there were no dogs. The basket went in the loft. Then in 2012, as the London Olympics opened and I went freelance, Billy appeared. The basket was retrieved, examined, repaired and was his until he grew too big and decided he preferred my bed. Last year, post-Brexit, post-Trump, post-Truth, he followed the others and rests now beneath a stone sink next to the place where I sit for a cup of tea, so he's always at my feet. And this weekend, the basket is back for a new pup with my daughter's old cot duvet, an eagle piggle I am hopeful he will destroy because all other methods have failed, and toys from more than one of his predecessors. Which is a long way of saying, this is not just a basket anymore. It is eight collies, 13 doctors, 15 prime ministers. It is my grandparents, my parents, my childhood, my daughter. Recession, inflation, boom and bust. It's a way of life, of mending everything you can, and Sunday roast dinners arguing about the Tories, the royals, the unions, and why the doctor doesn't just use a normal screwdriver because that would fix the Daleks. Some families hand down land or diamonds, bought and paid for with a toil of people who can make one dog basket last 70 years. But this basket is as much a part of my people's DNA as, well, their DNA. And like loyal retainers preserving the crown jewels for the inevitable return of the true king, we keep the basket because that's how we keep faith with values that don't change when the rest of the world does. Which is the most important part of running a country, raising a family or winning elections, although few people realise it. It's about knowing when to bury and when to repair, and what bits of wire and pipe are worth saving in case it comes in handy. More than anything, it's knowing what people value, the stuff you couldn't sell for tuppence, but which is nevertheless priceless, like honesty, competence, loyalty, duty. Despite all you will hear today of where politicians won or lost and how highly they may rate themselves, remember that who you are, deep down, lasts longer than any of them. You are the sum of the things you choose to hold dear, which is why politics and prices change and people never really do. It might resemble a basket, but it's actually a throne where we put princes and invite them to rule over us. How come the dog gets that, but the Tories don't? Because there was only one Fleet Street Fox column this week because of bank holiday, this is a golden oldie from all the way back in December 2021 uh, in honour of the fact that Keir Starmer is now being investigated over a beer he had more than a year ago. All the crimes that should not be investigated, according to Dominic Raab. Were a drug kingpin running the country, you would probably expect to see the police being called to rowdy parties in number 10, a parliament laced with cocaine and a government legislating to put itself above the law. Because we don't have a criminal in charge, the police aren't investigating the number 10 parties, the Class A drugs, or the reason why one group of citizens think they should not be subject to court rulings. I'm sure that democracy probably is better than being subject to the whims of an organised crime group, but at the moment, it's difficult to see how exactly. 
And it seems that the government has also forgotten what the difference is supposed to be, as Justice Secretary Dominic Raab took to the airwaves to announce a crackdown on crime just 24 hours after declaring that police don't normally look back and investigate things that have taken place a year ago. Mr Raab, who has two law degrees, said that if the Mirror's revelations last week about Downing Street parties during lockdown were true, they were a breach of coronavirus rules. He added that, because it happened a year ago, the police wouldn't do anything about it. Which is a bit awkward for a Justice Secretary today launching a reform of rape prosecutions, because thanks to Ministry of Justice cutbacks, it can take up to three years to get a rape charge to court, and the police rarely change their minds on the basis it's been a while. Other crimes they investigated, despite it being more than 12 months since they were committed, include the Hillsborough tragedy, interbank LIBOR rape fixing, the Brinksmap bullion robbery and the 1993 murder of Stephen Lawrence, whose killers were not put behind bars until 2012. Police investigated Jimmy Savile after he was dead, for pity's sake. And Slipper of the Yard didn't give up on Ronnie Biggs just because it had been 38 years since the Great Train robbery. Then there's the Lockerbie disaster, still being investigated despite the conviction and later release of the main suspect 33 years on. Fred West, whose serial murders led to a Gloucester cafe having its floor dug up just seven months ago, and the murder of estate agent Susie Lamplew, which led to the excavation of a back garden in Sutton Coalfield in 2018, despite the fact she'd disappeared 32 years earlier. Dennis Nielsen kept parts of his victims in his fridge and under the floorboards and flushed them down the toilet for five years before he was nicked. Susan and Christopher Edwards lived high on the hog of her parents' money for 15 years after they'd shot and buried them. Russell Causley, who killed his wife Carol Packman in 1985, was jailed twice for the crime, once in 1996 and again in 2004. And let's not forget Colin Pitchfork, who killed two girls in 1983 and 1986, was only arrested 14 months later, and is considered such a, quote, remorseless psychopath that when he was released from, then returned to prison three weeks ago, a certain justice secretary of this parish said that the parole system needed to be changed precisely because the passage of time had made no difference. The disappearances of Millie Dowler and Madeleine McCann, Rochdale grooming gangs, the Moores murderers, Frankie Howard's tax records, Basil from the Hatton Garden heist and Dr Harold Shipman. The list of crimes investigated more than a year after their commission is endless, as Rob should well know from his repeated meetings with the family of Harry Dunn, who was killed by a US spook driving on the wrong side of the road in 2019. But these are all serious, high-profile crimes. The piddling business of a breach in the Covid rules aren't the same, surely? No. Because a breach of the COVID rules is an offence under the Public Health Control of Disease Act 1984, which says that any charge must be made within three years of the offence. And that's why it's reported that 14 different prosecutions are underway in London for doing exactly that in December last year. Which means boozy Downing Street parties won't be in the clear until the end of 2023. While Mr Raab is merrily suggesting that most paedophiles, murderers, terrorists and tax fraud should go uninvestigated, his colleagues have been getting away with breaking rules that would lead to criminal charges for the rest of us. Anyone else caught on camera snogging an aide at work while under Tier 3 restrictions would expect a visit from the Bobbies, but not Matt Hancock. Members of the public who drove a short distance for a dog walk were met with police drones and on-the-spot fines during lockdown, 
but not ex-number 10 advisor Dominic Cummings, who drove a knowingly infected family 400 miles to a place with fewer hospital beds to go around. Any of us who tried to set up a charity to pay a £58,000 decorating bill, siphon public money to friends whose overpriced goods were not fit for purpose, or tried to illegally close down Parliament, would find ourselves in the dock quicker than we could say, didn't you go to Eton, officer? And of course, Michael Gove is still committing crimes against dance. Most of us wouldn't carry out a crime if there were police stood outside the front door, writing down the names and times of everybody coming and going. On the day before the Downing Street party, the government announced Tier 3 restrictions for 38 million people. Schools were due to shut for an extra week after the holidays, and scientists warned of a fresh lockdown. On the day after, Boris Johnson told the country, I'm sorry to report that the situation has deteriorated since I last spoke to you three days ago. We thought he was speaking about the Alpha variant, but perhaps with hindsight he meant a rush on the Downing Street stocks of Barocca. Today, there's revelations that drug dogs may be introduced to Parliament, also filled with police, after cocaine was found in 11 of 12 locations tested, and that the government is pressing ahead with a law to stop itself being subject to judicial review in order to end the embarrassment of judges deciding it's broken the law. You'll note the government has not decided to stop breaking the law, just change it so no, it no longer gets into trouble. Even Lord Lucan, should he ever return, would not expect to get away with that. Which means that either Justice Secretary Dominic Raab is as dumb as a bag of spanners, or he thinks you are. Which is it? <laughs>